The Tapes is supported by Horrified, the website that celebrates and champions British horror, covering films, television, books, fiction and more. You can visit Horrified at horrifiedmagazine.co.uk and find them on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram at horrifiedmag. The Tapes is part of the Pod Dojo Network. My name is Jennifer. I'm a criminal lawyer with a previous background in private and social housing. In relation to the social housing, I thought about it, and I mentioned last time in terms of the um, North Peckham Estate and Damalola Taylor, but also what was quite relevant, I think, and most recent in our time is Grenfell. And we all know what was going on there with the cladding. Um, It wasn't until Grenfell happened that people, that the public eye was really, or a light was really shone on conditions that people were having to put up with. Um, And I think what's very relevant with Candyman is, and, and Grenfell is not the fire in itself, even though the fire is relevant, but the proximity of poor people living in poverty who are completely forgotten by people who are living literally next door or, or they're, they're not seen by people who are living next door. I mean, Grenfell is in, was in one of the most affluent areas or very close to um, a few minutes walk. And I think similarly with, um, with Candyman, you, you certainly, when Helen is describing to Bernadette, I think the way the apartments were designed, it really ties in with how the rich and the poor are so close together, but the poor know where the rich are and the rich don't know where the poor are. Um, and yeah, I mentioned that I used to do some voluntary work with the Greater Manchester Law Centre and the housing team. Um, so in my role as an advocate in civil court, I was always on acting on behalf of the claimant, so a mortgage company or a landlord wanting to evict somebody. And then with, and that's never been where my heart is legally. I've always wanted to sort of do the work for the underdog. And so with the Law Centre, I was able to do that. Um, and in 2018, it was, I think, I had done an article on affordable housing. And um, in explaining what that is, it's um, it's where landowners and private companies, developers, um, they can apply for permission to sort of develop land. And there's a prerequisite that if they're going to do that, at least I think 30 to 40% of the properties that they build is supposed to be affordable housing. So, and that is housing that I think no more than 35% of somebody's household income um, would be the amount of rent. And the first problem with that is if you are a single person with four kids, and a low income, 35% of your income is a massive chunk if those are, mm-hmm. if that's, those are your outgoings. But if you're a husband and wife or, I don't know, a boyfriend and girlfriend or boyfriend and boyfriend, whatever, and you've got a combined income, obviously there's a huge disparity between you and the person who's um, single. Um, but, but the main point about the affordable housing issue that really disgruntled me when I was at the law centre is that even though it was a requirement to get the permission to build, you, if you could show that it was not financially viable, ergo you would make profits below 20%, you could then get away with building these magnificent places and not having any affordable housing. 
So you completely circumvent the necessity, which is to provide homes for people uh, by just saying, oh, my profits are not going to be as high as they should be. And then what makes that even worse is that those assessments, um, their viability assessments are confidential. So if you want to go and find out how they came to that conclusion or to say, well, OK, you've said that it's not going to be viable. Let's see your paperwork. Let's see your stats. You can't get access to that as a member of the public. That is how it was when I did the article in 2018. Um, I don't know whether that's still the case now. Um, but just in t I think the reference I had at the time was that in the two years prior to 2018, 14,667 homes were granted planning permission. Um, and none of those were constituted affordable housing. So that just demonstrates how ridiculous it is. Um, and I think in terms of the not being able to investigate that, it's a loophole which, if it hasn't been shut already, really should be. Because, again, um, going back to the Candyman and the conditions that people live in um, and the bad press people that live in these conditions have, it just shows that nobody really is there to help them. The council doesn't help them. The government doesn't help them developers don't help them and then there's just this story created um so yeah th that was something that was really important to me about the social housing i mean where i grew up in it was stockport edgeley Ch and then Cheadle hume um similar environment really really run down um you really did feel i think when you're growing up in those kind of environments, you really are aware of how invisible you are to everybody else. Mm -hmm. And I went to a local primary school until I was the age of seven. And um, my mum, like a lot of parents, you know, that they, if they've got kids that they think can do better, they they put you up for assessments and stuff. And I was lucky enough to, to get into the closest grammar school, which was St Stockport Grammar. And it was just the whole classic scene of me going off to that private school in this brand spanking uniform and all the old friends I had who went on to the local sort of state school um, wearing a not so nice uniform. They just, you know, the division started. But, you know, going to that kind of school and then coming home to where I was coming to is just two different worlds altogether, completely. Um, and like I said, I think, and I, I don't think, I, I, I'm trying to remember whether I was ashamed. I don't think I was ever ashamed because we were happy, but it was very obvious to me that I was not like everybody else at, at the school. Yeah. And, and I, like I said, I think you, you feel very invisible to everybody else. You feel like you're in a cocoon. It's a bit like that film with Jim Carrey. I can't remember what it's called, where I think the whole area is in that massive bubble. Um, oh, trimming chair. Yes, that's it. That's how it mm -hmm. feels like. You're all in there and everybody else is outside or the other way around. Um, but not as hilarious. Did you find, given your sort of background and obviously you were then given this opportunity to then go to a grammar school, did you, did you feel that you belonged, well, you were at the grammar school, belonged to any kind of group? Yeah, I, I did feel like I, I, I didn't really belong. Um, I was definitely not ashamed because I've, I think one thing to be said for when you grow up quite poor and or you really recognise how important thing, and valuable 
things are, is that you, you become very strong, very young most of the time. And so I developed resilience really early on. And I, I remember even not only that, but just the fact that my, I was from a broken home. So, I, you know, single parent. And I remember for some reason um, in, a, in an art lesson, talking with the girls on, on our table about, um, you know, who's, you know, mums and dads and stuff. And I mentioned the fact that my mum was, was divorced and there was one other person in that year whose parent was divorced. And it was kind of like we united over that. Do you know what I mean? It yeah. was so um, but I I knew I wasn't part of, of that sort of club, but in the same way it didn't really bother me because I almost saw it like I'm I'm stronger, I'm more mature, and I even had actually that reminds me, there was a teacher, um, a really strict teacher, and he used to love hosting debates. And he hosted a debate one day that single kids from single parent families um, were not as successful in life. And I remember thinking when he t um, proffered that topic, you know that I'm the only one here from a single parent family. Like, are you deliberately ostracizing <laughs> me? But, but yeah, I, I don't know. I just turned it on its head and saw it as like, I don't know, a, a skill, a blessing almost, like a strength. Mm -hmm. So... Yeah, yeah. I didn't. Did that change at all over the years? Because I, because I, like I say, I, I grew up in kind of <clears throat> on a council estate. It was relatively nice uh, council estate. Yeah. But as I, so I was, I wasn't really aware of the dynamics. I wasn't really aware of that much at primary school, and also because my mom, <laughs> my mom was quite. <laughs> but I, I'll put it bluntly, bit of a snob. So we went. <laughs> We didn't go to the local school. Yeah, we, we, you know, my granddad used to drive us to, you know, the the, the better village down the road, yeah. a ten minute drive. So we went to primary school there. So I was, so when I arrived, I was, I, I was kind of all those, you know, because I didn't live near them, so there was never the danger of, can I come to your house tonight? Well, because right. I live yeah. too far away. Yeah, so I was like, I yeah. was, I was the sense of freedom. Yeah. But as I got older and then went to high school, uh, a high school that was within walking distance to where we lived, it was over time that I became more acutely aware of the dynamic, yeah. the class structure. The, and that's what, I suppose that's where the sense of shame came from because obviously you're, the, 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 the social group then widens mm. and you are with kids who are worse off than I was. Yeah. <clears throat> And a considerable amount of kids who were m much better off yeah. than I was, and that was when I kind of thought, and I, and that's when I my, and like you say, you 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 found strength in that. Yeah. For me, I I I wanted to dissolve into the background. Right. I thought this is this is if if no one looks at me, if no one, if I just disappear, no one's going to ask me where I live. No one's going to ask me right. to come around to my house. Yeah. So I just kind of dissolve having been quite a probably a, a fairly obnoxious <laughs> um, you know between the ages of you know up to the age of 10 and yeah. 11 being you know quite loud and 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 yeah I suppose obnoxious is probably the best <laughs> description but uh but as soon as I hit high school I was it was it just felt if I if I say the wrong thing if I if 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 you know, and it was such a, and it, and, and 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 to be honest, it has taken me a long time 
to to get over that. I think high school was 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 a massive effect on me because not only because high school is always tough yeah. because you go, you know you go through puberty and all that stuff, mm-hmm. but because I had this kind of a lot of the friends that I ended up grouping with were very middle class, and it was like, oh, do you want to come to ours at the weekend? Yeah, yeah. And they were like, yeah, okay. And then you know we had our we we didn't have a telephone, so it meant. At me walking across the public tele- here we are <laughs> walking across the road to the 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 the, the public telephone and waiting and, and like having twenty p oh putting God. it in yeah, ringing yeah. my friend and saying the number is da 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 phone me back and you know and yeah. and then I would sit there wait and they'd phone me back and I'd pick it up oh my gosh I've done and that yeah I've done it that was, it was such a and when I and when I relay that to other people now, it, it sounds like it wasn't the fifties. <laughs> you know, you aged well, like Chris. Crowning, you know? <laughs> I'm not that old. This is, you know, this is the nineties. Yeah, and, but, but it seems so. And 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 obviously because you know technology and stuff, mobile phones and 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 the rest. But I just remember that was such a. An acute, like, yeah, just not having a telephone. It's like, well, well, I'll ring you later. It's like, yeah, well, uh, you can't because we don't have a telephone yeah. because we had a telephone for a while and it got cut off because they weren't paying the bill yeah. and that kind of thing. And and it's again, that's that sense of shit. It's like, oh, no. I know. Not only do we not have a phone, yeah, my parents weren't, you know, yeah. <laughs> couldn't pay the bill, you know, so this, it's just this double whammy. So, yeah, high school for me was 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 really tough, um, but I think I think it's, it's really you know inspiring to hear you that, that you're able to take that. You know that it's like I am different. I am yeah. I'm not the same as everyone else, and I will use this. My resilience came to me much later in life. Yeah, you know, but it I, came. I, I, I wish. Well, yes, yeah, uh, but I think I think I think I, I could have done with some when I was in my teenage years yeah. because that's when you're at your most vulnerable that's when you just yeah. don't understand anything yeah. you just feel that you are a, a, a sort of perpetual outsider yeah well I've certainly felt that way yeah so. no I, I totally empathize with what you've said and I remember you know yeah telephone being cut off and not being able to pay in fact I remember when my my mum went into hospital to have an emergency c-section with my little brother our telephone was cut off so um you could dial 999 but you couldn't dial anyone else so mum went off in the ambulance and then me and my brother rode our pedal cycles at like 3 a.m to the to the telephone box you know down the road near the local shops to ring my auntie to say mum's got into hospital can you come and pick us up and you know it's like hilarious it's it's you know like in in a way if it hadn't happened to me um and I was telling this and I was hearing somebody else's story it's the kind of thing that could make you want to cry you know to know that people kind of have to suffer I mean it's not you know it's not the the end of the world but it's because it's still not ideal is it and but I I just laugh at it and I think you know in a way it's it's kind of a cute memory me and my brother going off on these pedal bikes and me trying to catch up with him and do I ride on the curb or do I ride on the road and I just (laughs) (laughs) um just stuff like that and yeah um one story that that really does really irk my heart once is that probably like you but this is before I was at primary school we went we were at primary school and um 
they had these school fairs and I think um they they used to be this silly thing that you game that you could play where they had like an empty paint pot and it had string on each paint pot and you'd you'd use it like stilts to walk on. Um, oh yeah, yeah. So, yeah. but you had to pay like fifty p to have a go on these paint pots, and I wanted to have a go, and my mum was like, "I haven't got, haven't got fifty p." Yeah. And it's like, you know, you think to yourself, "What? You haven't got fifty p?" But fifty p was a lot back then. Um, yeah, yeah. But yeah, I, I think I've, I'm definitely stronger for it, and I think the reason being is because I look at any hard times that you've had in life. I mean, even when you're going through them, that you don't see the good in it at all. You really see how horrible things are. But when you've come out the other end, you see it, I think, as surviving something. And then you think to yourself, or I certainly do, if I could get through that, if I, you know, if you could maybe not always have that much food or you couldn't go somewhere and you couldn't go on the school trip or you, whatever, you can get through anything. And you can also cope with very little is something that's a, that's that's good to know as well. tried their best and there were times of it was a bit like feast and famine there was like there were moments where we, we were kind of you know dad was in work and 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 we kind of felt the benefits of that yeah but then when he was out of work it was you know bailiffs it was yeah you know um not being able to phone your friends and and not being able to go to to social events because it required money it meant like oh well how much is it to go ice skating at school yeah. or it's 10 pounds it's like well why can't i go because i don't have 10 pounds to just give you to, yeah. to, and then feeling that anger at your parents like it's just 10 pounds why am i why am yeah. i kind of the only one that can't go what, yeah it's that i'm the only i know i'll be the only one or but it felt like that it wasn't the case but it was always that so you know kind of getting older and then being married and and having those kind of those you know kind of conversations with Jess it was only when you when you say it out loud mm. it sounds god good grief you know that's that sounds when you think you know and it's not a you know, say, it's not the 50s it's not year it's not post war this is <laughs> you know like a couple of decades ago and it yeah. sounds like I am some sort of urchin, you know, kind of, you know, with coal on my face. But it, you know, in, in comparison to what it is, and I know that obviously, like I say, nowadays there is obviously there is there is poverty, and 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 yeah. you know, the class systems is still in place, and you know, it's it's awful for 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 a lot of people. But it's just when you verbalise it, I think for me, I suddenly like, oh yeah, we never had that, and she'd be like. You what? You never had because I think I think Jess had a relative. You know, she lost her father at a relatively young age, but prior to that, she had a very stable middle class childhood. Mm. So to be able to talk to her, it's like, well, yeah, I did that. I did that. I was like, oh no, I I, I didn't. And, yeah. and and it's not like you know get the. <laughs> 
get the violin. Oh, this violin just, playing the yeah. Sabbath song. <laughs> it's just like it's hey, verbalizing and sharing it. Yeah, it's it, it, a bit of oh gosh, yeah, it sounds awful. Though. Yeah, but I kind of you kind of carry it with you, yeah. either as in you are kind of stoic and it is par for the course. It's like this is this is life. Yeah. It's not. It's only when you get old and you reflect on it and go. Did you have to run across the road to, yeah. to, to, to get your friends to phone you from? No, we had a phone. Oh, right, okay. Yeah. Oh, that wasn't normal. <laughs> <laughs> even then, even obviously you know it's not normal, it's, yeah. you, you didn't feel that it was abnormal. You know, it, it was. It was. A, it was always a strange thing to, to sort of yeah to reflect upon, and and and, and you know, and, and I think that yeah, I suppose childhoods. I'm of, I'm of the school of you need to sort your shit out by the time you're 30. Yeah. And if you can't, you never will. <laughs> you know what I mean? like, if you're still carrying it at that age, it's just like you need to go and seek professional help. But I've, you know, I've, I, I suppose as the Americans say, I have come to peace with my, my childhood and all those kind of things. Yeah. But it is definitely because it's definitely who I am. You know, that is a part of me. That's yeah. that's what shaped me. Yes, absolutely. And, uh, and so I can't deny it because it's 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 been a, a journey. It has been a, a path, but it's such a, yeah, just a, a, a relatively difficult one and, and um, not what you imagine. And obviously, therefore, you reflect on, you know, when it comes to my children or, yeah. you know, my family, I don't want them to have to go through that. Absolutely. But yeah. yeah. It's a, it's a, and I think that, that I don't know if, if, if the, the, the to, to, to end the therapy session and go back <laughs> to um, Candyman, I don't know if it does justice to, to that. I think it, it is, it's not flippant. I, I, I don't think it's, I don't think the film is shallow. I think it, it wants to, to, to address them. Yeah. But I think it's trying to address lots of things but at the same time you know be a horror film yeah no absolutely it's it's, yeah it's kind of who do you please it's trying it's trying to do so much but when you actually get to it it's it's a relatively i don't know is it shallow is it is it just just you know it is yeah i know what you mean it's like there's there's a real you know, obviously, the, the you know the writer and director he, he's very much aware of these issues and, and and made a conscious decision to move it from Liverpool yeah. to the US yeah. and to in Chicago. these kind of projects. Mm. But it's just missing. Yeah, you know, and I don't know if it requires an extra scene here and a little bit more here or what have you. But the fact that he did touch on those issues i think is is you can applaud given that it is supposed to be because at the end of the day the people who financed it were financing a horror film yeah no absolutely and i i suspect with that um being the aim uh they wanted to make sure that if it was anything it was a horror film and then everything else was sort of it was there but i i do feel the whole sort of you know it being in the projects and it being in cabrini green and everything i think there could have been more there could there possibly could have been more scenes being lived out because the one with Anne marie um again that's just going back to the to the candy man less about the circumstances of living there um so yes we we could have had because it's only an hour and a half or a, it's like an hour and 36 minutes or something this film 
It's not a particularly long No, film, exactly. So. so it could easily have been another 10, 15, 20 minutes even with just a yeah. bit more of a consistent light shining on sort of the whole projects thing. But even in saying that, I still absolutely love the film and I'm, I wouldn't knock it because it doesn't have more of it. It's just that we know that perhaps more could have added to it. Yes. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah, I think I think it is what it is. You know, and and when you get to that, when you start critiquing things, you you, you know, you do end up getting, oh, if it just had this, if it just had that, if it spent a bit more time on that. Yeah. But you kind of, I think, I'm, I'm, I suppose as a viewer, I'm grateful because at least there's a conscious decision to 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 address that, and it might not be the most sophisticated and in depth discussion or analysis, you know, analysis of those issues, but at least it was brave enough to at least, you know, put that on screen and say, you know what, social housing could be much better look what it does you know and and, and also throw away comments from those residents mm. which you could you know nowadays if you were you know inclined you know in the way that that, that, th- that tv series like the wire spent hours discussing is a throwaway comment in this film yeah. so there's kind of a bit of a well it'd be great if we could turn this into a epic tv series <laughs> you know and and and, and delve into so there's an episode on Anne marie and her plight and everything that's around that there's an episode on you know the the the, the men hanging around yes. and why they're in that and that kind of stuff but again it is supposed to be a, a self-contained yeah. two hour well, two hour ish yeah you know horror film so i am grateful and i don't think it takes anything away from it but it just make you think and i think that i think for me that's what I love about it. It might not be the most nuanced and in-depth um, film about those issues, but at least it touches on it and it yeah. says, and also kind of, show, you know, kind of the, the, the fact that he'd moved it there and, and and went like, here, look, look what's happening. I'm going to set this Phantom of the Opera yeah. drag, you know, this kind of, you know, monster movie and I will set it here. I could have quite easily have set it with white suburban yeah, kids. Absolutely. Which obviously he makes a point of doing it in the opening. Yes, <laughs> yes, yeah. Yeah. No, I, I yeah, I think it's it it is real. Um but as as you said and I agree, it doesn't um it doesn't take anything away from it, but it's just that something more could have been added. Um but it, but you know, it doesn't change my view. I still think it's a brilliant film and yeah, I'll just keep watching it, and I'll I'll keep telling people to watch it as well. I'll be like, watch the Candyman and scare the crap out of you. Um, and that's what it's better than it sounds. Candyman sounds a bit like cheap. And... Well, it does, doesn't it? it <laughs> if you like, it, you know, you said, you know, if you say to somebody, "Have you seen Candyman?" You don't quite know what to expect, and there's certainly only one sort of like physical reference to candy in the whole film. Yeah. When it was... <laughs> so it's like it's a complete. You know, but um, no, I I absolutely love it. Absolutely love it. Hi, I'm Rob. I'm Simon. And I'm James. We want to talk about those movies. Those supposedly bad movies. Those movies that bombed. To see if they weren't that bad after all, join us every other Tuesday on the For Your Reconsideration podcast, part of the Pod Dojo Podcast Network. You can catch us on iTunes, Spotify, and all your usual podcast apps.
and it won't cost you a solitary bean, mate. <laughs> it's like it's free. <laughs> it's just like it's free. <laughs> The next big issue that I wanted to um, look into more is the interracial relationship. And um, I think there have been quite a few films over the past few years and and of years gone by that have touched on interracial relationships. And it usually is, I think, from memory, it is that the the woman is usually white and the, the man is black or, a, you know, a mixed descent or something, as it is here in Candyman. But going back to that scene in the film when um, Bernadette and Helen have done their sort of preliminary investigating and they're at dinner with um, Trevor and Professor Purcell and he's um, telling them the legend about Candyman and how he came to be and, you know, as in, you know, son of a slave, how he made his wealth and then his talent, prodigious talent for painting wealthy families and then meeting this wealthy man's daughter painting her falling in love having a baby she's white he's black and then comes his end by virtue of that relationship and that's uh, i think it's um it's quite piercing how the story is is told in a few minutes and it's just like bang 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 fell in love had this you know and then he gets taken off and his arm sawn off and it's like X X plus Y equals Z, and yeah. just because you're in an, a mixed relationship, how dare you? you? You need to die now. You're tortured just because of that. And um, I think when we're talking about Candyman's um, history, it's the 19th century they refer to, isn't it? In terms of yeah. when he when he was living, so that's many, many, many years ago which had made me think at the time about this landmark case in America of um, Loving and Virginia. And Loving being obviously quite apt for the scenario because the actual story is, or the case, is that uh, Mildred, black and Native American, uh, was married to Richard, who was white. And the facts are that they were arrested in their marriage bed only weeks after their wedding in 1958. So this is not a dreadfully long time ago. Um, And they pleaded guilty to violating the state's Racial Integrity Act, which in itself, you know, unbelievable that there was an act which forbade interracial marriages, specifically uh, between a white person and someone who qualified unfortunately and sadly referred to as being someone who is coloured. So those two components mean uh -uh, you're breaking the law. Um, So what they did, having broken the law by being uh, in a mixed relationship, is avoid going to jail for for one year by effectively being banished out of state for 25 years. And this is in the state of Virginia. So yeah, of course, loving in Virginia. Um, So I was just doing some research into the case because I'd I'd heard about it a long time ago, but I wasn't quite sure who acted on it. And um, I found the attorney's name who was Bernard Cohen. And he and his partner, Philip Hirschkoff, um, were representing the the lovings at court. So because they pleaded guilty, in order to to actually 
reverse undo however you want to look at it this decision they had to appeal and they went through two appeals before they got to the supreme court being like here the highest court in the in the land and during the second the penultimate appeal the virginia judge apparently said and i mean this is just awful when you when you hear it but it, he said Almighty God created the races white, black, yellow, Malay, and red, and he placed them on a, on separate continents. And but for the interference with his arrangement, there would be no cause for such marriages. The fact that he separated the races shows that he did not intend for the races to mix. So this is a judge um, presiding over a case of interracial marriage and referring basically to the Bible and to God saying that if he'd wanted you to be together, that's how he would have had it. And because it's not the way it is in the Bible, then I'm sorry, you're not to mix. And it's just to think that, I know this was some, was some years ago, but to think that somebody who's in a position of such power, a judge who's there to be impartial themselves, to not use their own personal views, but to apply the law and also take into account society would, would in effect, take his personal view. He, perhaps he was a Christian and that's why he referred to what, you know, what he says the Bible said. But that's not the way that you deal with the law in any jurisdiction. Um, thankfully, the Supreme Court overturned the decision and um, thereafter interracial marriages were um, permitted but I think why this is so important is it just, it really sings to in the Candyman that the horror that he, that ensued just because he dared to, to love a woman who was white. And mm. um, I mean, one thing that's perhaps missing, I think missing from that backstory as well is, is maybe could we have known what she thought about it? Could we have known whether they were kind of in a relationship that was, were they sneaking around together, you know, or or did people know about it? And then one day, some way down the line, the father was so angry that he got this this brute sort of mob to, to kill him. So I think that would have been interesting as well, um, because historically, a lot of interracial mar marriages and relationships, people did hide and they did it yeah. in secret. So that would, I think that would have been quite interesting to know. But I, I just think... We only need to look back even to last year with what happened in America, again, because of race. Um, it's not the same set of circumstances, but it just shows, I think, and it makes it a really live and relevant thought that have we come as far as people would like to think we have? Yes, there was that change in the law in 1967, but racism didn't end there so much has continued to happen since then civil rights and and all sorts of movements in america and even here and and in other places so i am thankful to the candyman film in that it introduced this horrific real issue in a fiction in a horror movie you know like why does a horror movie have to take on something so serious but i think that's brilliant because I tried to think about other horror movies, because usually horror movies are there just for the scare, just, you know, and they don't have anything deep and dark and horrifying and real staring you in the face. And this, this really does. So I think 
you know, kudos to the candy man. <laughs> or the creators, I should say, not to the candy man, but to the creators. <laughs> <laughs> the more that you think about sort of Candyman and and how he came about, he becomes much more sympathetic. Even though in the film he does horrific things. Yeah. Do you feel that, that his backstory gives him license to to do those stuff? Um it, it does no, it, it well, in my view it doesn't give him license, but I I I can empathize is probably not the right word. It's um I can appreciate why he has become somebody that wants to impart such horror on other people because he he was the original victim really um if if we take take it as it's shown to us he, um he was an original victim being persecuted for loving a woman of a different and in that time thought of believed a superior race uh, and sadly that phrase superior race still stands today you know there are still white supremacists that think that they are above everybody else so no he he was wrong of course for imparting that horror and violence on other people but we know why he got to where he did or certainly it was a very significant contributory factor i think and if it, if it was a real person and he was you know let's say this had happened now, he'd been arrested and he was being assessed by psychiatrists and psychologists. I'm sure the dossier of his history would be massive. I'm sure psychiatrists would would come to a conclusion that his background has created him. Because, you know, yes, there are going to be people, I don't know whether I believe in being born evil, I'm not sure. There are sometimes people who are bad and you then find out they I don't know they came from a wealthy family they have everything they ever wanted but I always tend to think something must have been amiss yeah you know were they from a wealthy family but they were ignored you know were they from a wealthy family but they were somehow abused in a very um insidious way as opposed to just being punched in the face or you know sexual abuse or whatever doesn't give him license to do what he did, but you can well understand why he became such a horror. If he just killed white people, it'd be sort of, I suppose, kind of, you know, understandable, but because he uses and he does use Anne-Marie but because he uses her is he using her and also in a in a racial sense that he thinks that the fact that a white woman cut the head off the dog that the the white woman stole the baby has more weight than if it was because I'm assuming it's not an an entire kind of African-American kind of black social housing you know there would be white people or you know you know, a, a real kind of yeah. There might be Hispanic, kind of whatever, yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. The, the fact that he does choose this woman uses her that that has more impact because if she if 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 Helen was found murdering a white woman, would that be seen less? Is that is that I don't know. Is that a motive that, that Candyman has? And in a way, that's 
<laughs> I don't know if that makes him worse. <laughs> yeah. The fact that he decided to manipulate and, and obviously he sets it out. Because again, I'm assuming that Helen didn't actually cut the head off the dog. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, that was Candyman did that. Yeah. Candyman obviously took the baby and he sort of frames her. Yeah. But he she he frames her as a white woman yeah. in a black woman's house. Yeah. So therefore there's that added dynamic yes. is he playing up on that well yeah you know i i hadn't actually thought about that because in a way he could be that framing helen if we leave aside thinking that maybe there's some sort of um supernatural reason why helen is the person it might just be mm-hmm. circumstantial yeah. but in a, but because what happened to him happened because of a white woman and by the hands of white people it could be his ultimate vengeance to impart that on a white woman, leave her in the scene for killing her black friend, for taking mm-hmm. a black baby, for killing a black woman's dog, you know, and and to, to the extent that, you know, her own husband doesn't believe her, the psychologist doesn't believe her, the, the police don't believe her. And if you think about it, that's usually what's happening to somebody black that's accused of killing somebody yes. white. Nobody believes them. You must have done it. Look, the mm-hmm. knife is in your hand. The blood is there. <laughs> you know, just put on the handcuffs and, you know. Yes, so yeah. that's just like filtering into my head now. And I'm thinking, you know, it, that could even be another really clever aspect. Um, awful, but clever and determined mm-hmm. intention of Candyman to really mm-hmm. get back at the people that have harmed him so grievously watched it like a dozen times over the years and every time we go back there's just something that's just just so engaging because it is rich it is it, yeah. i feel like there's a real intelligence behind that whether it like again it, whether whether that's a conscious choice for, for for him to be seen as you know kind of like say what looks worse for a white woman her killing another white person or a, a black woman in a you know yeah this housing estate Actually, that looks worse. So therefore, he and then again, it's like, how do I feel about Candyman then? Because I feel sympathy for him because of his, you know, his his backstory, what happened to him. But then I think, do I feel more sympathy, or, or, or you know, that, that somehow he's incredibly manipulative and has created this? He understands the dynamic of of race, and he's using it. And like you say, whether whether it's just the frame this woman or the fact that this woman is actually a descendant or yeah. you know, or has has kind of a reincarnation of yes. the woman that he loved. Yeah. It's still like, wow, that's that's he's really thought this through. <laughs> I don't know if I admire him or I think that this is, makes it even worse. <laughs> yeah. At the end of the day, he has to have he has to have some elements to make him the villain, I suppose, because because Helen is the, the the protagonist, you are supposed to 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 to, to support her and yeah. you know want the best for her. But then you are when I every time I watch it, I'm a bit conflicted. I think actually I'm, I'm kind of with Candyman here. Yeah. I understand why he's doing this. You know, Helen doesn't want to be. You know, and that's where he, and this is where the the it splits between race and then sort of gender politics is that 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 it becomes even though he sort of sets this up as a race thing this becomes then 
a woman who doesn't want to be compelled she doesn't want to be controlled yeah. by a man but yeah. cannot escape it yeah. and therefore if you like say if you take it out of that that's that's not that's not great you know <laughs> whether whatever, whatever you're you know raised <laughs> you can't be doing that you know that's, yeah. not, that's not a great thing to be doing is like controlling somehow you know <laughs> hypnotizing women to do what you want <laughs> and kind of that's not a good look as you say <laughs> <laughs> And I, I, again, it's, it's that oh, you're kind of torn. Yeah. You know, you're pulled in so so many directions. And I never thought that that kind of discussing a horror film that I'd be like, "Man, this is really quite interesting." It is, and isn't complex. it? And I don't know if I'm overthinking it, but I do think there is something within those. It's not. I'm not reading into something that isn't there. I think that yeah. I think, like, hey, whether it's a, it was a conscious decision by the filmmakers or not that they kind of touched on and then it was like, oh, well, that sounds sort of interesting. Yeah. But it is it's such a fascinating film to talk about. It really and, is. And it's ridiculous. Watching. I know. I think it's, it's completely random, but I always say when I watch The Grinch, which I watch every year, there's because there's so many people in The Grinch and like bouncing around and doing silly things, <laughs> that every time I watch it, I notice something I didn't notice before. And mm-hmm. I, I almost feel like The Candyman is like that. You... You, you either notice, not so much notice something, but something else comes to your head, like just as we were discussing just now about, yeah. you know, the, the reasons behind, was it, wh- why was it Helen um, and what would have happened if the shoe was on the other foot sort of thing. It really makes you wonder and question so much. And I think that is incredible mm-hmm. and so rare of a horror in inverted commas mm-hmm. film because you usually watch a horror film, you get your scares and you may watch it again, you may not, but this is, a different level i think it's it's kind of in its own genre almost um yeah and, and it makes it such a re- rewarding watch yeah. as well to be able to go back and and you think ah oh, i watched this i've not seen it for a while it's a great film you watch it you think, oh man there's not you know lots of interesting stuff in there and then and then obviously this is why i wanted to do this sort of the podcast is that that you kind of reflect on the stuff that you have a initial like you know, like I was saying, I watched it and thought, this is a great kind of horror film. It frightened me. And then rewatching it, I thought, all oh, right, okay, there's, there's there's commentary here and there's commentary here. And whether it's intentional or not, I thought, that's really, and it got me thinking. And and it just felt, and I think like anything, any, any art, whether it's, like I say, whether it's film or, you know, write, you know, kind of novels or, you know, paint, for you to go back and be rewarded. Yeah. In a way that's like, oh right, okay. That yeah. that for me stands that that's a high yeah, kind of watermark, isn't it? When you when you think, man, alive, that's really got me thinking again. Or, yes. Did I get it wrong on my first viewing? Yes. Did I completely. Yeah. See that as hang on a minute. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no, that's so true. It's it's a bit like you know, like at school or or whenever really, if you if you ever had to um like annotate a poem and you you know you might get something by Sylvia Plath and the teacher would be like so what do you think this is about and then people you'll either get everyone coming back with a very a very similar idea or you'll get loads of people coming back with very different ideas and then really getting to the sort of numbers to why you think so, these words are depicting xyz and i think it's like that it really causes you to question and pull apart the film and just you know like put it all there on the floor and piece it back together again. 
So yeah, it's it's just amazing, I think. Mm-hmm.